You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A Veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. Folks, I have as my special guest today Jack Barsky. Jack was a KGB agent. He was trained as a spy for the Soviet Union. He came to America as our enemy and had a transition to believe it in the American way, and he is now an American citizen. It is a fascinating story. Jack, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, uh, nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you again. I think everybody's going to be very interested. You grew up in a communist country. That's all you knew. Tell us about your childhood, Jack. Yeah, uh, so born in 1945. That was uh, four years after the end of uh, World War II. And I just, uh, uh, by chance, uh, uh, found a video on on YouTube about what that country looked like in 1945. It was nothing but rubble. And now, I, <clears throat> where I grew up, there wasn't much rubble because it was in a small village, way east, as far east as you can go without uh, being in Poland or, or Czechoslovakia. It was a very poor section of the country. And uh, so I was born into poverty. And, but my, my parents were both teachers, and uh, teachers were really well treated in East Germany, which later became the... Uh, German Democratic Republic in 1949, uh, just six months after I was born, uh, and it was uh, it was a vassal state uh, uh, to the Soviet Union, uh, run by the Communist Party until the end of it, which was in 1989 when the wall came down. So I I spent the first 26 years of my life in a communist uh, system. Uh, having uh, having been exposed to nothing but uh, communist ideology, uh, there were there were no other opinions allowed, and I didn't have access to other opinions because, uh, unlike many other regions in East Germany, who could receive uh, West German television, we could not. So we were we we were. Um, and uh, referred to as Valley of the Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. What what kind of a home did, did you and your parents uh, have? Well, <clears throat> that was uh, actually uh, not too bad compared to uh, a lot of city dwellers because my parents were both teachers. Uh, they managed to get an apartment uh, w- w- when I was a little baby, an apartment in the top floor of a, a small school, and then we moved to uh, another town, and we got an apartment that was adjacent to a small school building. So we had uh, a roof over our head. We had running cold water, no hot water, but we also had the toilet uh, either downstairs or across the across the yard. It was safe. It was clean. And uh, we had stoves to keep it warm in the winter time, so that part of poverty wasn't half bad. Um, 
But uh, everything else, we had to just uh, deal with the same problems everybody else did. Uh, food was rationed until I was about 10, 11 years old. Uh, and clothes were hard to come by, decent shoes. And, you know, it was just, everything was just uh, uh, substandard. We were poor, but so was everybody else. So we didn't know what that this was poverty. Okay, under communism, when you went to school, what were you taught, uh, mainly in the way of subjects, and also, uh, what did they teach you about America? All right, um, that's a. I can talk about this for some time. I want to uh, keep it short, though. It, okay. it was. Uh, I would tell you this was a rather standard curriculum from uh, first grade on. You know, the focus was on the basics, uh, uh, German, math, uh, and then some some other subjects there. Uh, there was always a one subject, whatever they called it, and I can't really translate this very well, that had something to do with uh, geography, the world, uh, philosophy, uh, the, the communist ideology as, as we got older, we, we then had a, a subject called uh, scientific uh, socialism. Uh, interestingly enough, at grade one through four, it, uh, there was a, on a Saturday, we had Saturday uh, instruction until noon. On a Saturday at one o'clock, if you wanted to, you could actually get uh, a one-hour one class in Christian religion. Uh, that was eventually uh, abolished, uh, and I, I, I was never allowed to participate because my father was a teacher and he was a member of the party. Uh, and with that, interestingly enough, even all the way through high school and college, there was never one subject that that you could call like religions of the world, never mind Christian religion, that was just not touched. It was all about, you know, Marxism, Leninism, and scientific uh, communism and the history, and there was a lot of history also, and the history from a Marxist point of view. So you almost had no choice but come out of that educational system a, uh, a flaming art communist and believer in the communist cause. Now, one other thing I want to mention, sure. and that was actually a positive. Uh, there was a, a very, very strong focus on science, math, physics, chemistry, biology. I just recently uh, looked over the curriculum that uh, uh, that we followed in my senior year in high school. 48% of that curriculum was science. You can't right. find this. You can't find this in, in the modern uh, educational system in Germany and even less in the United States. And there were no electives, zero. Everybody had to take the same classes. Uh, one thing you can find in the American school system today is uh, scientific socialism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by, by the way, also you, the, uh, the question you had, what we were taught about the United States, uh, there was uh, the subject was touched upon in geography, but then also in, the, in uh, you know the scientific socialism. Uh, uh, America, the United States, 
was considered the most evil nation in the world. Uh, it, the United States uh, uh, contributions to uh, the defeat of, Stalin, uh, of, of Hitler and the Nazis was downplayed. The, uh, the liberators were always the Soviet Union. And the United States was, we, we knew that the United States was very rich, but the reason for that was because they stole all the wealth from third world countries, and it was an imperialist nation that supported neo-Nazism in West Germany. Now, here's, a, here's an unfortunate uh, truth to, uh, to be told. Uh, there were some ex-Nazis in, in West German government for a while, and, in, and pro- most prominently, um, the, the head of uh, the Bundesnachrichtendienst, uh, uh, which is the equivalent of the CIA, used to be uh, a general uh, under Hitler, um, in, in charge of uh, espionage against the Soviet Union and on the on the Eastern Front, uh, for, at the moment I just like his name is is, is gone. Uh, okay. But but you know we we had some evidence that uh, that that the propaganda actually had at least a uh, some truth to it. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. How how and why? Were you recruited by the KGB? Well, you would have to ask the folks who uh, actually made a decision to approach me, but uh, I I did some a lot of research uh, when I could, and I found <clears throat> I found uh, two interviews that were given by ex uh, high level individuals in the KGB uh, who who either were near the top of the first directorate, which is espionage, or actually one guy uh, was the head of the first directorate, and they both uh, uh, talked about how they selected uh, illegals. And apparently it was a very, very uh, arduous, lengthy, involved process. I'm... I remember having read that they were looking at hundreds, if not thousands, of candidates based on certain character traits. Um, and uh, these traits, uh, and I, I, you know, when I when I uh, um, read them, there's about a dozen of them, and eleven of those describe me. It has a lot to do with uh, uh, smarts, uh, quickness of intellect. Uh, ability to make decisions very, very quickly. Uh, obviously, you had to be a communist. Uh, you had to be completely, completely uh, convinced that communism was, was the co- a cause worth uh, sacrificing for. And uh, the, the one trait that I really like the best is uh, uh, they call it well-controlled uh, tendency uh, for or like like likeness of uh, no liking uh, for adventure. <laughs> uh, that's me too. Um, so and I I was a standout student, and that's probably how they found me. I was a recipient of a national scholarship that uh, in in East Germany was limited to one hundred concurrent holders in the entire country. Wow. So 
that made me clearly a target. And, and then they, they, they spent almost two years uh, interacting with me informally, you know, sounding me out. And, uh, you know, I had one liaison with whom I met once uh, or twice a, a month. And we would talk, we would be talking about all kinds of things about life and, uh, and, and girls and, you know, what, whatever was on my mind in those days. And uh, then he would give me some little tasks here and there. Uh, and uh, apparently he, he determined that I was a really good candidate to be trained. Now, once you're trained, you know, that still doesn't mean that, that you will be deployed. There was a lot of a lot of individuals who didn't make it past training. Like uh, I, I now can uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together. I had a, a quote unquote uh, test run into West Berlin, uh, and that was important because because I, I met a uh, ex classmate of mine who was work, who was recruited by the Stasi. He had the same test run, and he failed because because he got so he got so uh, uh, fearful that he was all alone in enemy territory. He told he went, he came back and said, "I can't do that." So you understand, for us to go to the West, it was like, "Oh my God, this is where all the evil people are," and uh, they might even you know see that you are from the East, and you know you you might get in trouble. I was and still am rather uh, fearless to a point of uh, uh, being reckless. And, and so I, I have no problem at all. Uh, anyway, cool. so eventually they decided that, you know, I was the right guy. And, uh, and then, in addition, there was an, a revelation that uh, I had a, a, a talent to uh, acquire another language rather quickly and and to speak it very well and that was english and that's how eventually initially they wanted me to go to west germany uh which would be uh, logical because you know there were no culture changes no language changes but once they, they found out that uh, i'm really really good at english you know i became a extremely valuable asset i don't yeah. know how many I don't know how many. Uh, in, in the, I, I know one thing. In the uh, late seventies to mid eighties, uh, the KGB sent altogether ten illegals into the United States. Wow. I know. Okay. Hey, know. Jack. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we have to go to our first break. Uh, we'll be right back with your story. What a great story it is. Stay with us, folks. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand join the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. 
over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, folks, we're Jack, uh, back with Jack Barsky, a former Soviet spy, KGB agent. Jack, you were well-trained, and now you're ready for deployment to America. Tell us about coming to America and your first impression of the country you were sent to spy on. Now, I had a, uh, a sort of a preview of uh, what America might look like because <clears throat> prior to sending me to the U.S., I, I spent three months in, uh, in uh, Canada. So Canada was considered, you know, a mini United States. Not quite true, but uh, it was a whole lot closer than, uh, you know, so the Soviet Union or the Eastern Bloc where I grew up. Uh, but anyway, I um, I expected something huge, and this is what I found. Uh, I entered uh, the United States uh, through O'Hare Airport spent about a week in Chicago, and then wound up in New York City. Interestingly enough, uh, when I, I took the bus from LaGuardia Airport into Manhattan, and as we enter Manhattan, I was thinking, my God, these streets are really narrow. <laughs> much later, much later, I, I realized it's because the buildings were so high uh, <laughs> as compared to the, the, uh, the streets uh, uh, getting into Moscow that were just as wide, maybe not quite as wide, but uh, left and right, the buildings weren't as high. Uh, I wasn't overwhelmed. I expected this. And obviously, I had studied about the United States. I had read books and, and uh, you know, looked at the pictures and all that. Uh, so it was not overwhelming at all. Uh, but I very soon found out that the instructions that I got as to uh, establishing myself as an American were, just to put it mildly, uh, inaccurate and just plain old stupid. The uh, the folks that uh, trained me in Moscow had spent uh, some time as diplomats on the diplomatic cover in the United States, and somehow they knew, they thought they knew what life in the United States might be like, but they didn't, they did not, and they didn't know what they didn't know. So I had to sort of find my way slowly uh, to uh, a number of steps that were necessary for me to establish myself as Jack Barsky, because I wasn't born with that name. This is a name that uh, that was taken off of a gravestone um, uh, over the grave of a uh, young boy who died at the age of 11 
And uh, we, the, the KGB acquired a, a certified copy of, of Tchaikovsky's birth certificate, and that I used to establish myself as Jack Barsky with other documentation that was necessary to, to live in, in, and work in the U.S. Well, uh, you know what? Let's go back to Chicago. You have a very interesting story about Chicago. Uh, you were... <laughs> You, you stayed at the wrong place. Tell the folks about that, Chicago. Uh, okay. I had no idea, and I, I, I can never figure out why uh, the KGB told me uh, to go to Chicago. So I, I wound up uh, initially in Mexico City, uh, spent a week there to get rid of jet lag, and then as instructed... I uh, well, I was traveling with a Canadian passport, and the passport had had me live in Toronto. Uh, so I was instructed to get a ticket uh, to Toronto with a stopover in Chicago, and then deep plane in Chicago. What they were thinking, I had no clue. On top of it, why they thought Chicago was a, nice, a good place for me to 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 enter the United States is beyond me because. There were no Russians. There were no. There was no KGB. There was no diplomat. There was not a single Soviet individual in an official capacity in Chicago. So, uh, and and that means they didn't know anything about the city. So I just, you know, I I get through uh, customs and uh, and and you know the border uh, control. And that was no problem. The problem then arose when when I had to figure out where to stay overnight. Uh, so I went to, through the yellow pages and picked out a hotel. I called them up and made a reservation and uh, hailed a cab. It was already dark. Uh, and uh, I, I gave the, the driver the address and he looked at me really funny. I had, you know, I was tired and I didn't make much of that look. And I just remembered later that, uh, that it was there. And as we were driving south uh, from O'Hare, uh, I just looked around, and the the uh, neighborhoods looked more and more dilapidated. I had no idea what that was all about. I get out of the cab and, and, and enter the hotel. The hotel building was an old brownstone, maybe four, four to five stories. And the lobby was was a strange sight because the reception desk was uh, protected with plexiglass. And it had uh, just an, an, an opening where you can hand over your passport, your money, whatever, uh, and get the key back. Again, because I didn't have a frame of reference, I didn't know that this was unusual. It was, uh, uh, I thought maybe the hotels in the U.S. were all like that because, the, you know, there's a crime all over the place. So I uh, went up to my room, uh, you know, drank uh, quite a bit of alcohol to put myself to sleep, woke up the next morning with a headache. Once uh, I had taken some aspirin, so it was time to go outside and, uh, and look for a place where I could eat breakfast. And as I'm wandering around the streets, I noticed something that really um, alarmed me. I was the only white guy in the neighborhood. Everybody else was black. <laughs> Now, I still didn't know what that meant, but in, uh, later on I figured, I found out I was right uh, smack in, in the center of, da of uh, the south side of Chicago. 
because of my discomfort, I, uh, you know, I just checked out of the hotel early and wandered uh, in a northern direction until the thing, people became, uh, the, the population became more mixed and uh, found myself a hotel there. Uh, now, the danger that I was in there was, uh, can, should not be minimized because I had an, if uh, I was traveling with a forged passport and I had $6,000 in cash on me and I was a standout six feet three white guy in a black neighborhood, I, what, what would have happened if I, if they had, uh, somebody had uh, taken my money, I wouldn't have known what to do because there yeah. weren't any, any Russians, any Soviets in the city. So, you know, I, I got lucky to get out of there. Okay. So you got to New York and how did you start I, I guess fitting in. How did you do that in New York? Well, this was a very, very gradual process, which, quite frankly, took a good five years. Okay, the first year, I stayed in a single room uh, occupancy uh, hotel, paid cash. I didn't work. All I had at that point was a birth certificate, and I had to acquire uh, a driver's license and a and a social security card. And to get this all started, uh, I had to get a library card. That was uh, uh, because a library card was uh, necessary to, uh, as proof of identity, to get a driver's license. That was all not easy at all. It took me almost a year to get my social security card, at which time I could get a job and uh, move out of the hotel. So I started uh, work as a bike messenger in Manhattan. That paid rather well. And it was the kind of job where nobody asked you for a resume, but nobody asked you for experience. They just asked you, can you ride a bike? And so I did that uh, for two years full-time. And uh, then I went to, I enrolled at uh, uh, Baruch College to study um, information systems. And that took another three years, at which point uh, I, was, I was reasonably sure of myself that, uh, that I can, you know, uh, mingle with anybody and, uh, you know, act like an American. And uh, so I, I started my first job at uh, uh, MetLife, uh, insurance company, um, as a programmer. And at that point, I considered myself uh, fully functional as a, as a born American. I had yeah. a cover story. I had a cover story that uh, uh, t- took care of uh, a residual accent that I still have today. Um, the maiden, my mother's maiden name as per birth certificate was Schwartz. And um, I just told people that I grew up bilingual. And in, in New York, that that is real. One, once people ask the question, say, you you have a little bit of an accent. I said, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, was, uh, I grew up bilingual. And so there's, uh, there's a lot of bilinguals in, in New York, uh, particularly yeah. Puerto Rican, who have a stronger accent than I have. So, right, yeah. Let me ask, tell you what, Jack. What we're going to do, we're going to go to our second break, and we'll be right back. You were eventually discovered and chose to cooperate with the FBI 
that's what I want you to talk about when we come back, okay? Yes, sir. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Difficulty there. Uh, you were eventually discovered and chose to cooperate with the FBI. Tell us about that. <clears throat> well, um, in 1988, uh, I actually resigned from the KGB. It's uh, if I get into this, it's going to take too long. But I just like I uh, uh, withdrew from from espionage and just decided to live a normal life. To the extent possible uh, uh, in the United States and work on my version of the American dream. I had a wife, uh, uh, one child, and we had another one uh, uh, soon thereafter, moved into the suburbs, and had a very nice career in information technology. Uh, and uh, about nine years after my resignation, the FBI introduced themselves. It turned out that they had gotten a tip from MI6, uh, who in, in turn got their information from a defector who had uh, uh, worked in the KGB archives and had brought a treasure trove of information uh, to to the to the British. His name was Vasily Mitrokin, uh, most likely the greatest treasure ever. Uh, to uh, be handed over to another intelligence service in the history of intelligence. Uh, my name was in there just to like sort of as a footnote, uh, and there were so many, many other people that were uh, that were busted, and it was just an, an amazing find. But anyway, uh, they, the FBI didn't have much of a problem finding me because Jack Barsky is an unusual name. 
And uh, when they introduced themselves, obviously I was very surprised. Um, but it became rather clear very quickly that uh, all they wanted was my cooperation, and I had absolutely no reason not to cooperate anymore. You know, my my I had shed my communist ideology, um, and uh, you know, I I was enjoying the American way of life. You know, I at that point I had already lived. 19 years in the United States, uh, more years as an adult than I lived in as an adult in, in Germany. And uh, my English was significantly better than my German, and I had kids and everything. So, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we had lengthy talks. They, <clears throat> they uh, um, interrogated me, <clears throat> interviewed me, is a better word, uh, about everything from, like, childhood on, everything that I could remember about my life. And uh, they, they were very grateful because uh, this is still important information uh, for counterintelligence. Uh, and uh, after about um, to me, three months, I was told that uh, uh, I, I would be allowed to stay in the U.S. and that there was a path to citizenship. And yeah, six years ago, I became a citizen. Wow. As right now, resigning from the KGB is fairly dangerous. How did you get away with quitting the KGB without any kind of retribution? Well, they hired themselves a pretty smart guy, and uh, you know, I came. <laughs> that 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 sort of uh, worked against them because I lied to them, uh, and, I, and the lie was so convincing that they believed it. I told them that I had uh, when when they they. Uh, told me to uh, come back. Uh, supposedly, they thought they, uh, my cover was about to be blown, and they wanted me to go back uh, so as to avoid capture by the FBI. I didn't believe what they were saying, but uh, and, and and it turned out it, it was it was a red herring. But nobody knew it at the time, um, and so I didn't want to go. So I told them I had HIV/AIDS. That. What, that was very convincing uh, in 1988. Well, of course, you did have AIDS, but you told them you had AIDS, and the KGB just sort of backed off. Is that correct? They absolutely backed off. They uh, went uh, to my German family and told them that I had passed away, which AIDS in those days right. was a death sentence. And they believed it. They had no reason not to believe it. Uh, I mean, that... that it, it, it was a brilliant lie, and uh, I also had established uh, in my interaction with the KGB uh, over many years that I was well, was an extremely honest individual, somebody who would admit mistakes when when only he would know about that mistake. Uh, so it, it was a slam dunk. I didn't know that it would work that well, but uh, it did. Wow. Uh, you... You grew up under communism. You spied for the Soviet Union, and now you are an American citizen. Give us your comments on recent events in America, the Marxist communist movement, woke, the cancel culture, whatever you'd like to discuss from your experience with communism. The floor is yours, sir. Yeah, uh, let's just talk about uh, the the fairy tale that is communism or communist ideology. I'm going to start with that. Um, the 
the foundational statement of communism goes something like from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. That sounds really good, but, you know, <laughs> I had no reason to, to dig any deeper and, and, and think about how that might work. Now, now, you really, if you think about it, how, how do we determine what you need, Pete, and what, what I can contribute? Somebody needs to be a judge there. Okay, so that means you have to have some elite, some you know, all-knowing uh, group of people, and that would be the Communist Party. So what we are looking at now is uh, some people above everybody else who will determine the things the basics about your life and of course since this is a centrally centrally organized uh, hierarchy we're talking about uh, you know there's going to be some people at the very top and you know what happens when you have uh, huge hierarchies there, there, there will be little dictators and people who are uh, you know, so proud of themselves and knowing that they're better than the rest of the, the ones under them, so that that this this whole system uh, becomes poisoned and cannot work. Well, <laughs> history has shown that it doesn't. Okay, so look at uh, and and I just want to uh, point out that uh, the revolutionaries. A lot of revolutionaries that worked on establishing uh, a socialist communist uh, state, uh, I believe, were um, sincere, at least at the beginning. Think about Lenin uh, endured a lot of hardship. The East Germans that were uh, wound up uh, heading the German Democratic Republic spent time in jail uh, uh, fighting the Nazis. And, uh, and so... I, I just don't doubt that they were sincere in 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 uh, uh, trying to establish the, something that uh, that uh, conforms with the communist ideal. But you see what happens uh, once once you uh, win power, it has to be maintained, and uh, you know revolution is uh, is violent. So how you remain remain in power uh, in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a construct that was established through violence, through more violence. And that uh, uh, gave birth to the KGB. Initially, it was the Cheka, uh, 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 to, to fight the enemies of the revolution. And eventually, the enemies of the revolution were everybody who doubted anything that came from the top. And so, what you what you wound up having is a, a brutal, brutal dictatorship, such as China, the Soviet Union, East Germany, uh, and a few other Eastern states that wound up killing millions of their own, particularly uh, the Soviet Union and China. And uh, you know, you look at Cuba. Um, I I think Castro was uh, an idealist, and he became a dictator. So, so this this whole thing, it's it's a romantic notion that everybody can get along, but it completely ignores the fact that people are not all good, and there's a lot of evil in this world, and the evil has a tendency to rise to the top. So that's just a, 
uh, an overall uh, look at uh, why communism has not worked, cannot work. Now, uh, with regard to the United States today, I do believe that people who scream that uh, communism is coming or socialism is coming, I think they're wrong. What, what, what we are looking at here is, a, is collectivism, statism. Uh, I don't believe that there's going to be a revolution that will um, uh, um, take companies like uh, Google and uh, Amazon and make them state properties. And that's one of the, one of the basics of communism, that the means of production are owned by the state. I don't think that's going to happen here. What we're looking at, and you know, this is, in, this is a pessimistic outlook, but it's a possibility. Uh, we're looking at something like an oligarchy with a ruling class of a super super rich, uh, married to uh, a bunch of corrupt politicians. That's just as bad as communism. Maybe not quite as uh, as violent, but clearly uh, as oppressive, like Russia is today. Or in so sort of a version of uh, the Chinese capitalism, where there's really rich people, but they better play ball with the with the government, or else they're going to disappear. So same as in Russia. I'm I'm, I'm going to stop here. Maybe you have some questions to <clears throat> dig a little deeper into one subject or another. Uh, you know, when Tsar Nicholas fell, when the Russian Revolution happened, he had a feared secret police. But yet, when communists took over, they had a secret police that probably killed more than the Tsar ever did. Would you go along oh, with absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, the, 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 the Tsar's secret police was called the Ohana. Uh, uh, it was feared, but I tell you what, when, when the Cheka, which became the KGB, uh, uh, took over, they were ruthless, brutal. And uh, you know about the gulags and uh, and, uh, and uh, the uh, the oppression of uh, and the the suppression of any kind of uh, uh, resistance within the country. Uh, horrendous. I think, though, China, the Chinese communists, uh, outdid the, the Russians in terms of violence and killing their own. That's, uh, that's sad. I, I don't think a lot of our young people realize the results of communism and also socialism, but that's what they're being taught in school. You mentioned the scientific socialism. I know yep. that's being taught in our schools. Um, I tell you what, we are going to our final break here. We'll be right back. I got a lot of questions about your feelings on the council culture, woke our school systems, and everything else. So, folks, uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed 
to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, we're back with a former KGB agent and Soviet spy, Jack Barsky. Jack, you grew up under communism. You have seen socialism. You know all about it. What, what can we tell the American people who so many are... are as they say, lock and loaded. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to fight back against this council culture and woke and all this other garbage going on. Can you give us any advice? Well, in, in addition to uh, 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 being uh, oppressive and murderous, uh, uh, communism and socialism doesn't work. I mean, uh, the the comparison between you know, East Germany and West Germany uh uh, showed quite clearly that uh, you know the, the, a, a centrally uh, um, managed economy does not work uh, a, when when the state determines who needs what and what needs to be produced. It doesn't work. It's just we were we were constantly short of something that we needed. So so that's just like uh, let's just uh, determine that uh, if we lose uh, uh, the competition, capitalism. Uh, we're going to become an impoverished nation. That's number one. Uh, number two, when you're talking about cancel culture and uh, wokeism and uh, and also critical race theory, um, I want to go back to how I became in a flaming American patriot. That's when I took a, a, a course on the American Constitution. Uh, most people, most Americans who were born here, probably don't know what's in the Constitution. And I am 100% convinced that uh, if we abandon the the basic constitutional principles, the country will go down the drain. So we need need to actually fight and and always get back to uh, uh, what the Constitution says, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, uh, separation of powers, and and, and uh, the left is nibbling away at all of them, and with with not always strong resistance from from the uh, moderate right, so to speak. Uh, when you look at, uh, for instance, the the, the, uh, 
the trend of the federal budget it, since, since the end of World War II, it has always grown. It doesn't matter whether it was a, uh, a Republican or a Democrat in the White House, even though under Democrats it grew faster. So we need to um, look at our own behavior and our own uh, uh, ideology b- before we go out and, and can uh, uh, fight an effective fight against the trend that is currently going really dangerously in the wrong direction. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, how under socialism and communism, the shelves may be empty sometimes or very thin. Have you been to the stores lately? <laughs> uh, we've had shortages here. I, I guess that's due to the virus. But yeah. what, we uh, see, yeah, what we see, Jack, we were born and raised here in America. What we see is a deterioration of our rights. If you speak up like we should be doing, and I certainly am, and so is this station, but as we speak up, we become targets. Uh, yeah. we are, our reputation can be ruined. They have ruined people's jobs. They, they've gotten people fired. Um, yes. If this is not socialism, communism, it sure as hell is, fas- is fascism and a dictatorship. Uh, well, and again, it, it, it has it has the flavor of an oligarchy because the government, the, the federal government, is now enforcing rules through uh, uh, their allies, you know, the big tech companies, you know, or other big companies that uh, that are uh, implementing uh, vaccine mandates. Um, I, I'm not. I'm neither. I'm not anti-vax, but I'm. A, I'm, a, I'm. I'm for the freedom to determine what an individual uh, that an individual need, uh, has a right to determine what gets into their body. Uh, so, so when you say you know communism, socialism, but the flavor that we have here is more oligarchy because the the ones that wield the power to cancel you are not the government. They are. The, the big tech companies, and uh, and of course, you know, then then you have the nonsense that's going on in social media. We we are a country of narcissists, and narcissists by definition are angry people because they never get enough, and they're always angry at somebody else. And uh, um, and and, and uh, the other thing is that we 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 are, are gripped by is fear. And the fear is, and, and, and the fear is being uh, nurtured and nourished by politicians. And if, he, if, if we can't get out of the fear, if we can't uh, get back into a positive attitude and get away from the focus on self, uh, all of this is not necessarily communistic. It is, but it is very evil and destructive. And in the end, it will have very similar results. Uh, in, uh, to to we would wind up with a country that looks more like the one I came from than the one I entered when I came here. Wow. Uh, for people who don't know exactly what an oligarchy is, Jack, I do. I'm a political science. But explain to them exactly what an oligarchy is. Okay, an o- oligarchy is uh, sort of a, a hybrid between a centralized government and a bunch of very wealthy uh, uh, industrialists, individuals who run big companies—they're uh, not necessarily—they're not state-owned. They are 
owned, they're privately owned, but these oligarchs, like, you know, you look at uh, our tech companies, they, uh, they wield phenomenal influence, and, and uh, quite frankly, they need to be broken up or they need to be su- uh, subjected to uh, some regulation so they cannot do what they're doing. Uh, you know, the freedom of speech, if freedom of speech is gone, so there goes the country, because <laughs> uh, who, who, whoever controls the word controls the word. The, the word controls the... Whoever controls the word controls the world. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, would you Would you agree with this, that right now we have... Uh, Democrats who are really street fighters, but we don't have Republicans that w- are willing to get down in the gutter and fight with. Them. Would you go along with that? Yeah, we. Th- there are some uh, that uh, uh, are that have a backbone. Unfortunately, there are also some that are a little bit off their rocker uh, that uh, you know when you when you're talking about you know all kind of wild conspiracy theories and uh, all kinds of weird stuff that's out there and can be found on the web uh, that does not that does does uh, the uh, serious republican uh, uh, efforts to get back to constitutional principles it does a lot of harm okay but when again this this goes back to you know, we have an uneducated public, and we have people who are willing to believe all kinds of crap, both on the left and on the right. However, at this point, the left wins this this battle hands down, and we we, we need more uh, folks on the right who are willing to stand up and and take a hit. <laughs> I might get canceled if uh, if the, this interview gets uh, gets out in public. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're fine. Uh, I think at least half the country is with you there, Jack. Um, I, I believe if these schools would get back to teaching civics instead of social programs, we'd be much better off. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. But that's that is a part of the. It's arguably the biggest problem. We're now uh, already into the second generation of teachers that were uh, influenced. Uh, by uh, by socialist ideas, particularly you know during and right after the Vietnam War, where uh, you know socialism and socialistic uh, thinking entered the universities, and so the majority of teachers that we have in in public schools now uh, are sort of the avant garde of the new revolution. And how do you how do you fix that? Uh, yes, you know how you fix it: uh, school choice. I got a kid in private school. There's no way that I would uh, uh, have her in public school. In private school, you still have a chance, and and we we're she's in a school where they teach critical thinking, where they teach the truth rather than ideology. But it's 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 a fight. You you need you need to go. This needs to be an absolute priority. School choice, you know. Uh, and uh, you know if uh, if the Republicans get back into um, having a say in, in the next uh, two to four years, maybe just maybe they have the courage to use uh, the majority that they once had to make real change happen. Uh, let's hope so. I don't know if you heard, but up in Minnesota, <clears throat> the Rawlings 
sports equipment company. They're shutting their doors. They're putting Americans out of work. Uh, it's another company that's folding that uh, makes American sporting goods, mainly because Major League Baseball is now going to buy their sports equipment from China. Okay, <clears throat> of course, because you know with this this is the, the stupidity that uh, uh, that is prevailing in sports nowadays. You know the NBA is beholden to the Chinese because that's what that's where the Chinese spend the money. The, the Chinese are significantly better focused and better organized. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, they ultimately are. Um, destined to be successful because uh, I, I've talked to some folks who have been to China and they see a lot of weakness as well but where the Chinese are spending the money it's very focused you know the same way uh, you know they undermine look, look at this uh, when uh, American movies when they go to China they are censored uh, if the Chinese don't, don't like certain uh, uh, aspects of, of, the, of the plot it gets cut out um, and uh, they, they they have their tank tentacles uh, into major parts of the United States' lives, uh, and as, as well in uh, in a lot of other countries where they go in and uh, and invest and make friends, quote unquote. Jack, what's your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that my ten-year-old daughter will wind up uh, in in a country where, where freedom, the word freedom doesn't exist anymore, has no meaning anymore, because she's just like me. She is a free bird. She's an anti-authoritarian who, uh, who will fit in with authority as needed, but uh, she, she, would, she would suffer uh, if she is not allowed to, to grow and... Uh, and prosper and freedom. Wow. Uh, we got about one minute left. Any closing comments, Jack? Any closing comments? Uh, you know, uh, God bless you for, for what you're doing. Uh, and uh, I, since I mentioned God, I think we may want to, we may benefit from getting back to uh, Christian principles, Christian morale. And loving thy neighbor, uh, all of that would 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 probably help healing some of the the uh, mental mental issues that uh, are governing our country these days. All right, Jack. Thank you so much, folks. We got to wrap it up. Excellent interview, Jack. Thank you so much for your insights. God bless you and what you do, and God bless your family. I know them well. Tell them I said hello. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.